Hey, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Thanks for uh, risking your lives to be here, I guess. There's a big snowstorm coming. So I don't think it's going to be till a little after church. So, Well, I think we're going to be good, but it looked like maybe we could, it kept some people away today. So that's all right. Okay, so you can uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. That's where we're going to start today. We're really happy you're here. My name is Chris, if we haven't met each other. So today we're going to continue on in the Values in the Kingdom sermon series. To be honest with you, we're never getting out of the Values in the Kingdom series. And what we're uh, talking about in this series are really the things that are most important for our church family. So we are continuing with the knowing your greatness value. And I'm, I'm excited about today because what we're going to talk about today, the topic, I think could be life-changing for some. Uh, the big question we are asking today is, who are we? And really specifically, where do we find our identity? So let's start in Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at a key moment in Jesus' own journey of discovering his identity. So Matthew chapter 3, take a look at verse 13. It'll be up on the screen here too. It says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus says, It should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Where is Jesus getting his identity from here? From the voice of his Father in heaven, right? As a follower of Jesus, where do you get your identity from? Is it from heaven and the voice of our Father, or is it from somewhere a bit closer to earth? The reality is that for most of us, our identity is grounded, not really in heaven, but in somewhere much closer to home. Some of us get our identities from our performance. I am what I do. We live in in an achievement society. We are at this fascinating cultural moment where we have more opportunity to reach our full potential than any other generation in human history, hands down. And yet, mental illness is through the roof. Not in developing countries, in first world countries. At this point in history, the more money you have, the more you're into your career, the more the odds you'll have mental illness issues. Even though it's, it is crippling it's at a soul level, a lot of people get their identity from their performance. I am what I do. Now, other people, they get their identity from their possessions, right? I am what I have, what I wear, what I text on, what I drive. We live in a materialistic society also. And over the last 100 years or so, the void that has been left where God used to be for many has been filled with materialism. It has become a kind of religion. Amazon.com has become, become a kind of temple. Shopping has become a form of worship. My point is that for a lot of people, things aren't just things, they are identities. Uh, For some people, that's not it at all. For other people, their identity is rooted in their pleasures. I am what I want. You see this in the way people now define who who they are based on their sexual orientation. And while your sexuality is a very important part of your humanity, it's is it the most important thing about you? No. 
Still other people get their identity from popularity. I am what other people think of me. Some of us just never quite outgrow the high school cafeteria, right? Have you ever walked into a room and for whatever reason you feel this pressure to kind of project an image of yourself to the room that's just not, doesn't quite correspond to reality? The problem with the, the cooler than you game or the better looking than you game is there's always somebody cooler or better looking than you. In my case, especially true. There's always somebody more successful than you or whatever your thing is. Like if you play the king of the hill game, even if you win, you don't stay there very long. The big point here is there are all sorts of places that people get their identity and even their calling from. Performance, possessions, pleasure, popularity, another person. And there's a danger here. Because if identity is tied, because your I'm sorry, because your identity is tied first off to your sense of self-worth. I matter because I'm a doctor, a lawyer, a pastor, I'm a you fill in the blank. It's also tied to your sense of security. You feel safe because you belong somewhere. This is why human beings are still very tribal, even in first world countries. Right? We have we all have kind a kind of tribe that we gravitate to. Because what we actually want is security. What we actually want is a place to belong. And so that could be a community, a community around your sexuality or a community around your economic status or around your political stance or this sport versus that sport or this theology versus that theology. Like Whatever it is, we gravitate to a tribe because we want a place to belong and we need a place of security. And then secondly, your identity is also tied, of course, to your happiness. Like, I'm happy because tomorrow morning the iPhone 37X jumbo wide or whatever goes on pre-order, right? Or I'm happy because of what I have or because of my job title or this or just whatever your identity is rooted in. And we all know this, but the danger is that all those identities can be taken away. In fact, some of those identities will be taken away. It's only a matter of time. If you get your identity from your performance, I am what I do, then what happens when you lose your job? Or what happens if you're passed over for promotion? Or what happens if you're 30-something and you still don't have any idea what you want to do with your life? Or what happens if your job is replaced by a robot in three years? There may be robot pastors three years from now. I don't know. My point is that all of these identities, in the language of Jesus, are shifting sand. This is why we have to get our identity and our calling from heaven and not earth. When you make your identity your work, your possessions, your pleasure, or, or you find your identity in another person, your spouse. Maybe your identity is your husband or wife. Listen to me, single people. Please hear me. Your spouse, however spectacular they are, will never be able to fulfill that gnawing in you, ever. Going into a marriage with that expectation, expectation is devastating to everybody. Because that shouldn't, they shouldn't be your God. They shouldn't be the point of your existence. They shouldn't have ultimate authority to make you full of joy or full of death. They cannot hold up the weight of your identity. So today, I really want to drill down on what we have been getting to in the knowing our greatness value. Who are we? What makes you, you? Where do we find our identity? That's the question. So let's go to Corinthians 5. 
16. Here Paul says this. He says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So the Greek there is literally from the flesh, from the aspect of the flesh. We don't look at people's flesh. We don't look at their ethnicity, their gender, their status, whether they're slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female. We don't look at how attractive or unattractive they are, what they can or cannot do, or who they are at all according to the flesh. We go beyond that. We look beneath that. He says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He's saying we used to think that he, Jesus was just a man. We used to regard him according to the flesh, but now we see there's something much deeper going on. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, as giving your whole life over to Jesus, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The old has gone, the new is here. The old is gone, the new is here. The old is gone, the new is here. In fact, let's say that together. I think you know the words by now. Everybody together on the chorus, ready? The old is gone, the new is here. Let's try it again, one more time, like you almost believe you're, you may be saying something true. All right, here we go, ready? The old is gone, the new is here. Here, revival coming. Yeah, the, the old really is gone, and the new really is here. This is something that is now true for those of us who are in Christ. And I love something that the Apostle Paul says here in Colossians 3. 3. He says, for you died. And here, death is being used not as a metaphor for the effects of sin. Sometimes the Bible talks about you're dead in your sins. But here, death is being used as a metaphor for giving your life totally to God. So that you're dying to your old self. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You are dead to your old life. And where do you look now for your life? Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's where you go to find yourself, to find your life. Instead of looking, looking to the things around you or the relationships around you or the, to meet all your needs, you're going to Jesus and finding that your life is there. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when I think, who am I? What's my identity how do I come, become fully alive and grow in that identity? Here it is. My life is hidden with Christ and God. That's where I get my identity. That's where I find my worth. But now I'm reaching for something that's real, something true, something life-giving that won't let me down. And that's what I see, passage, I see passages like this telling us to do, to throw ourselves into the pursuit of real abundant life. So how do we do that? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to take a look at the end of chapter 1, verse 22. Then we'll ramp into chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter writes this. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. So here you see a pattern that you're going to find repeated over and over in the New Testament. He says, here's who you are now, so here's what I want you to do. Love each other. And we're going to come back to this, but the New, Testament, the New Testament approach to our actions is not to enforce legislation from the outside in. It is not the way, that it is not the way of religion, but the way of love. Religion says, here are the rules enforced externally. 
You have to live up to those rules. The way of love says, here's who you are. Here's your identity. And I want to help you and encourage you to live that out. This is who you are. Therefore, in light of who you are, this is how that can be manifest. And it encourages us to become the people that we actually are. Kenneth Boa, in his book, Conformed to His Image, said, We cannot consistently behave in ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. So we first have to understand who we are. So part of growing spiritually now is allowing the Holy Spirit to regularly remind you who the real you is so that you can live as the person you actually are. Verse 23 says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For you have been born again, past tense. This is true for everyone now who is in Christ, who gives their lives over to Christ. The Spirit has given you such a fresh start that the best metaphor for it is, you've been born all over again. The old is gone, the new has come. This is now a completely fresh beginning. A completely new life, a new birth. This is an analogy that Jesus introduced in John chapter 3, and the New Testament church picked up on here. Peter says, it's not something that will happen to you one day when you die. It's true for all of us now. We've started that new life now. So your identity part one, if you're in Christ, you are brand new. Now let's jump to chapter two. It says, therefore, starts chapter two, therefore, in light of everything he's been saying so far, he says, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So these are the things that will erode relationships. And he's saying, in light of who you are, Get rid of all these things, because they are not who you are. They are not what it means to be a people of God. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone. <laughs> so that's Jesus, the rock we stand on, but he's alive. He's not an, not an inanimate object. So as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Look at this. You also, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Your identity part two, you are living stones being built into a spiritual house. It's a tabernacle or a temple. You're building the dwelling place of God. Now, sometimes we like to think of our bodies as a temple, and certainly if... The Holy Spirit is in us, then each of our bodies is a temple. People will often say that, whether Christian or not, right? I consider my body a temple. I don't say that. But the primary emphasis in the New Testament is, ultimately, our bodies together make one temple. And each of us is a living stone in that structure. It's not a physical structure. It's a relational structure. And it is the relationships that we have together that become the the matrix within, the, within which the Holy Spirit manifests himself most clearly. You are living stones. You're, you're the bricks that are built together in this relational temple for God's spirit to dwell. And so because we create that sacred split space, relationships become primary to us. That's why he just said at the beginning of chapter 2, 
Deceit and envy and slander, get rid of all that stuff because it destroys relationships. So, so anyone who says, okay, I love God, God loves me, I can just go and meet him by myself, do my own thing. Yes, he will meet you there, but you will not experience the fullness of what God has for you outside of encouraging community. Let's skip down to verse 9. Verse 9. You can read through the whole passage later on your own, but let me just pull out a couple more highlights. Look at how verse 9 starts. But you are. But you are. Now, those are important words for what we're talking about, right? Who am I? Here's what you are. And the you here, just so you know, is plural. So modern English does not have a plural-specific second-person pronoun. You means both a person and a group of people, right? That's why you see some groups come up with alternatives. Pittsburghians, right? Italians say yous, right? In the South, I think, I used to think y'all was plural, but I was told y'all is actually singular, and all y'all is plural now. <laughs> so just to be technical, here it's, it's, it's not y'all, it's all y'all. All right, so the passage reads, but all y'all are... A chosen race. Identity part three, you are a chosen race. A new category of people. You're your own race of people chosen by God, which is amazing language. Because all through the Old Testament, the Jews were the chosen people of God. And so now it's not just Jews. We're all together are God's chosen race. So now your ethnicity is secondary. And I hope that you have fun with it that you enjoy being Italian or Irish or if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much or whatever your thing is. <laughs> but this just shows that so many of the, the things that we hang our identity on are completely obliterated within the kingdom of Christ. And we love diversity, but this is talking about a whole new unified way of being here that has nothing to do with your place of origin. We are a chosen race of people in Christ. This also says, identity part four, you are a holy, set-apart nation. You're a holy nation. Which means that we do not get our identity from our political stance. Have your, have your opinions, but don't get your identity there. Because we're a nation with a king. His name is Jesus. That means that we have a, a culture and a government that's different. We have a way of living that's different. And we're citizens of a kingdom that works differently than the kingdoms of this world. And there was something sandwiched in between chosen people and holy nation here. What is that? A royal priesthood. Identity part five. You guys, all y'all are priests. Some of you are like, I just came to church and I'm already a priest. Yeah, it's an upgrade. Yes, you are. This says so. This is not the only occasion in the New Testament that says we are priests. Now, what is a priest? A priest is someone who is kind of like a middleman for God. He's the one who represents us to God and represents God to us. And he'll pray to God on our behalf, and he'll, he'll talk to us on God's behalf. He'll make sacrifices for us. He'll, he'll, he makes it official with God, right? If you want forgiveness for your sins, you go to the priest and you confess your sin, and he'll tell you and assure you that you're forgiven, and he plays that role. And this says, now, you're all priests. 
There's no middleman there. But here's what, as Westerners, we will do with that. We will say, that's amazing, so I don't need the church. I don't need any professional holy man. I'm just going to do it on my own because I'm a priest. In saying that, we are all priests. As you read the context, I don't think Peter's intention is, 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 is to say we don't need each other. Right? When you look at this, the direction of this passage, it is saying because we're all priests, then I don't need any special class of person to confess my sins to. I can confess sins to all of my brothers and sisters. I don't need a special class of person to pray for me. I don't need a special class of person to do a sacrifice for me. But now we can all be living sacrifices together. We need each other all the more if we're all priests. We're all functioning as priests to one another with one another. So far we see that we are brand new, living stones, chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation. Let's go to verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. So identity part six and seven, we are strangers and exiles. We are visiting foreigners to a land we may be living in for an extended period of time. But we don't find our identity in the citizenship of this kingdom. We're exiles. We may pay our taxes while we're living here, but there are just certain things that citizens do that we aren't going to participate in. It's not our identity. We're citizens of a different kingdom. So you're brand new. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're strangers and exiles in this world and citizens of a different kingdom. There's a bunch more passages in the Bible that talk about our identity, but these are part of the whole of our identities. And Maybe you say, boy, it doesn't feel like it. I don't feel like a priest. I don't feel like a living stone. I don't feel brand new. Like the old is gone, the new has come. Uh, I still think there's some old in there. And so what's interesting is, sometimes Jesus would talk about the kingdom of God as if it's now and it's here. And then other times Jesus would talk about the kingdom of God as if it's not yet here, right? So which one is it? Yes, it's here. Jesus has overcome the world. It is finished. But the kingdom is not yet here in full, right? For this, we have to wait for Jesus' return. This is what some theologians refer to as the, the now and not yet. This means a lot of things. But when it comes to our identity, this means that you and I are in a process of becoming who we really are in Christ. This is how identity works. You are in process of becoming who you already really are in Christ. Therefore, not only is your identity rooted in Christ, not your performance or your possessions or your pleasure or your popularity or a person or whatever your thing is, also your identity, therefore, is rooted in the future, not in the past or in the present. 
So for most of us, think about it. Most of us, our identity, first off, it's not rooted in Christ. It's not rooted in heaven at all. It's rooted on earth. But secondly, even if it is rooted in Christ, for most of us, it's based in the past. Who we were. Or in the present, who we are. But not in the future, who we're becoming. But this way of doing identity, based on who you're becoming in Christ, actually has all sorts of implications for how you do and do not live. So we're coming back to this topic. Let's, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. So for the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul basically just talks about identity. It says you're chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, accepted. goes on and on and on. There's not a single command anywhere in the letter until chapter 4, verse 1. And the idea is, first you have, this is who you are. This is your identity. Then after that, you have, this is what you do or do not do based on your identity and calling. And the idea, again, is that what you do flows out of the truth or lies, lies you believe about who you are. So not a single command until we get here to chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read it. As a prisoner for the Lord, therefore, meaning in light of your identity, in light of who you are becoming in Christ, I urge you, I encourage you, I, ex- I exhort you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then it's just command after command after command. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And it goes on and on and on. But the first command in the entire letter, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is who you are. Now go be who you are. This is who you're becoming in Christ. Now live up to it. And he isn't saying that you need to earn any approval or favor or anything like that. None of that. He's saying you have a high and a holy calling and identity before God. Don't waste your life on anything less. Maybe an analogy would help. So Katie and I got married young. I had just turned 23. Katie was just turned 20. And like... I was so immature. You don't even know. In the moment when the, the pastor, I think it was Chuck, maybe, Chuck or Dave, one of them, said, I now pronounce you husband or wife, like how good was I at being a husband? Let me answer that for you. Not good at all. Not anywhere close to good. Not kind or sort of good. Like lousy for about 10 years before I even started moving to like fair. But in that moment, I became a husband. I will never be less of a husband or more of a husband than that moment. And I can be a good one or a bad one, but my status is unquestioned. I am a husband to my wife, Katie, at that moment. And I will spend the rest of my life learning how to be who I already am. Learning how to live up to the calling that I already have on my life. When I had kids, my status as a father was unquestionable. I am somebody's dad but I will spend the rest of my life learning how to be who I already am. Learning how to live up to what is already truth about me. This is the pattern. This is a whole other way of doing identity. Where your identity isn't rooted in the shifting sands of what you do or what you have or what other people think of you, but in who you're becoming in Christ. It's not rooted in your past, who you were. It's not even rooted in your present. Even who you are, it's rooted in your future, in who you are becoming 
And when you start to see that way, the, you start to see the way that God sees you, and you start to look at the way that God looks at you, you start to get God's eyes on your identity, I think that's a turning point. David Benner in The Gift of Being Yourself wrote this. He says, Christians affirm a foundation of identity that is absolutely unique in the marketplace of spirituality. Whether we realize it or not, our being is grounded in God's love. Love is our identity and our calling, for we are children of love. In order for our knowing of God's love to be truly transformational, it must become the basis of our identity. An identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. I love that definition. When we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. The Father loves us into our futures. It's what any good parent does. And I'm sure there's some of you who remember your mom or your dad or your grandma or your, you know, your uncle, family member, who spoke words, prophetic words at times of your identity and your calling over your life at a young age. And it shaped who you became. When my great-grandfather died, all the cousins got something. He left tools to some different things. He left me his Bible. At the time, I was like, I'd rather have some tools. Do you think he saw something, maybe, prophetically? Something I didn't at all see about my identity. And maybe some of you had really unhelpful parents in this way, who said nothing about your identity, which is probably more common. And then maybe others of you had parents who said, you'll never amount to anything. My point is, parents, you know that our job is terrifying because our children will live up or down to the words that we speak over them. This is why it's so important that we speak like our Heavenly Father. Words of identity and life and a calling. This is who you are. This is who you're becoming. This is what God does with us over and over and over again. You are loved. You are deeply loved. And this is who you are becoming. God loves us into our future. And maybe some of you are stuck in patterns that are unhelpful and destructive to your own soul. But may I just speak over your life? That's not who you are. It's not what you're becoming. But the invitation of the Father and the Son and the Spirit to all of us is to be who we already are, brand new, living stones, a chosen race, priests, citizens of a kingdom of God. Amen. Bruce, you want to come forward? Amen. Good word. You know, as you discover who God made you to be, you find that you wouldn't want to be anybody else because the destiny God has for you perfectly fits who you are. God designed it so there would be a glory that we live in. He wants us to share his glory. That was his intended purpose. You know, we're all familiar with the verse um, that I just forgot. Uh, Romans 3.23, what is it, Chuck? Uh, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
you know, we always fo focus on, well, we've all sinned. And yeah, that's true. But, but God's focus is, I intended you for glory. I, there's a glory that I've intended you to live in. And that's who he created you to be. You've been made in his image. You've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. And as we receive Christ, you know, Chris read that verse, we become a new creation. The old has passed away. That's, that's past tense. And we've received a new life. And so... Let's live that way. Huh? I'd like us all to stand. Can we just have a moment here? Uh, and, you know, whatever, where, wherever you're at, maybe you were tracking with Chris the whole way, and maybe you zoned out halfway through. But right now, I want you to just meet with God, okay? And I feel like, each one of us, no matter where we are in our walk with God, we could all use an upgrade on who we are and what our identity is. And as, as Chris began with that verse, you know, Jesus getting his identity from the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know that he delights in you? Do you know that you are his favorite? He's especially fond of you. Do you know that he just loved the day you were born and loves, loves being with you and just loves you. It's that, that quote that Chris read at the end that we find our identity in just being loved so overwhelmingly. And I just, you know, I don't, I'm not great at this, but I just feel like God wants to meet us right here, right now. And I just feel like we need to respond somehow uh, and say, God, show me who I am. You know, reveal the fullness of my identity. And I think we all have glimpses of that, and, but we need a fuller revelation so that we can live who God made us to be. And so, and I think sometimes faith needs an action, that action actually activates faith. You know, sometimes you just need to raise your hands or to kneel or to, or to do something, you know, even before you feel it, because you just need your faith activated. And so I'm going to ask, a bold ask here, I'm just going to say, if you, if you want more revelation of who, what your identity is and who God's made you to be and, and your destiny, and, and that you would just come up front here and just stand before the Lord and just have a moment with God, and, and I'm not going to keep you here long, but uh, I just, just ask that you would, you would come up and say, God, I want more of you. I want more revelation of, of your purposes in my life. I want to say yes to the purposes of God. It's said of David that, you know, he lived the purposes of God, and then he fell asleep. You know, he, he entered into what God had for him. And so, Lord, as we come before you, we are just saying that's what we want, Lord. We want to enter into your purposes for our life. Lord, we realize that that is the highest way to live, that there's, there is no more fulfilling way. Lord, we realize that we cannot get there apart from you, Lord, for we've been made in, our Im in your image and made to be in fellowship with you, Lord God. And, Lord, we know that you have a grand and glorious purpose for our life, Lord. 
Lord, that goes beyond our dreams and what we could ever accomplish in our own personal abilities and, and natural talents, Lord. But you have something. You put the super into the natural, and you make us something great, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us know your greatness, that we might know our greatness, Lord God, and know who you've commissioned us to be, Lord. And so, Lord, we, we do give you our yes, and we just thank you that you are unfolding your purposes in our lives, Lord God. And, Lord, we just thank you for those around us, Lord God, that we don't have to do this alone, Lord, but we can do this together and that we can impact the world with your kingdom and with your love and with your goodness. In Jesus' name. Amen.